0: A
1: very good afternoon and welcome to Aspen Wait Live. Delighted uh, that you could join us today uh, on a Friday. I hope you're well and I hope you're looking forward uh, to your weekend. We've got something very special for you uh, today. Um, as you may or may not know, uh, Paul is, uh, it's fair to say, uh, just maybe a, a touch into his horse racing. And uh, today's show, I'm sure, will uh, bring a lot of joy uh, to Paul who is uh, joining <laughs> us uh, right now. I'm delighted to say that, um, Paul Waite, very good afternoon.
2: Yes, joy, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite surreal, actually. Um, John always got to look away when I say this. It's quite surreal uh, getting to interview um, uh, a sort of a, a – I'm going to call him a hero now, without looking at him, making him feel too conceited. But um, uh, it, is, um, it is quite a, an, an odd thing, so um, – yeah, I think if uh, if someone had told me, um, uh, I, I started um, really following John Joe uh, probably in the mid-70s mid when I was uh, a teenager, uh, and um, I think it's true to say, just establishing his credentials, um, the, the only person I can think of in horse racing uh, that's comparable with John Joe would be Fred Winter, uh, who was uh, an exceedingly good jockey and a probably even better trainer uh john joe um was champion jockey twice um uh, won the gold cup twice i think oh al- is that right alverton and uh dawn run
3: that's right
2: Paul, uh, yeah uh champion hurdler uh road horse i didn't realize actually you rode little al at all that was um so you rode little al a couple of times didn't you
3: yeah i did i rode him all his whole racing and uh... And uh beginning his novice chasing and then unfortunately the owner passed away and left it to Jim and his brother Robert. Jim Wilson, uh, is it? Jim Wilson, yeah. So he rode him in the Gold Cup when he won.
2: Yeah, when he won, yeah. Um so uh yeah, so J- John Joe's basically won um every every as a jockey, every race that you could possibly want to ride to to, to win other than the Grand National, uh, which he rode in seven times, never completed, I think that's true to say. Uh, which, is uh, bit, which is a bit, is a bit, a bit, sad. I was um, very unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, obviously, um, after you retired at quite a young age, uh, you've gone on to be an extremely good trainer. You know, probably, certainly one of the best five trainers in the country. But certainly, um, from uh, when I first met you and I, uh, I saw your horses at exercise. I don't think I've ever seen. Genuinely, I've never never seen such fit horses uh in my life before. So I was incredibly impressed with uh with the whole operation. So anyway, so um, for, so from my point of view, i sorry, I missed out a key bit. So my favorite horse of all time is a horse called Sea Pigeon. Uh and uh John Joe rode the pigeon. Um in I think he won 15 times on Sea Pigeon. Uh Sea Pigeon had 37 career victories uh in my opinion the greatest dual code horse in history would you agree with that john joe
3: yeah he he was a super horse really he was very special he um he had an awful lot of pace and he didn't always see the two mile out it depended on the tracks you know but yes. um brilliant horror and a brilliant flat horse really yeah
2: yeah um and i don't mind admitting this uh i uh I like horse racing so much I probably so at the moment I've been doing things like watching the nineteen thirty seven grand national all of the evening uh and i I probably watch and i watched the Sea Pigeon uh the the seventy nine eighteen eighty one champion hurdles last night um and particularly the eighty one where o'Sullivan says, and the old man's going to win it at last. You've never <laughs> heard such roars like think he says uh and i cry uh I don't mind admitting that i i even now. Uh, I, I, I could I could hardly walk for about half an hour after you won the champion and all. I was so upset because i <laughs> i loved, I loved him so much um, and uh, and I say so to, to meet you was um, was was you know really quite quite staggering so uh, anyway so that's that's um why uh, Paul feels a bit like he 's in the sweetie shop with the the king of the sweets or something uh today so um so we have uh, young john Joe here uh, so John Joe... I uh, was born in a lovely village called Castletown Roche, um, near Cork. Uh, father was a cobbler. Did you, right? get involved, did you get involved in that business at all? Only when
3: I was getting a slap of leather for being naughty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so It's, it's interesting. I, it, it has, for, a, for a little place, it has quite a, a staggeringly interesting history um you know I was reading about a so called nazi spy that uh, I don't know if you know that story about the nazi spy that um took cyanide uh, no, I didn't know yes yeah, so there you are you see I could tell you something about your own village there we are a very fascinating story about a nazi spy in 1942 that could, took his own life after being captured in John Joe's home village so um when did you when did you sort of take when did you start riding horses John Joe how old were you then
3: um, I might be probably five, six, seven in that bracket, really. really. Yeah, and uh, we my dad had greyhounds. And, oh, did he? Yeah, and I used to have to walk to greyhounds in the afternoon after school, and I had two in each arm, and when Yay. they saw a cat or uh, anything, they were gone, and I was airborne. And <laughs> I had two very badly cut knees and I thought greyhounds is not for me so um, I always wanted to play around with donkeys and ponies and jumping on them and the fields loose and what have you and then it just went on from there really and then we used to have um, donkey derbies in the (laughs) villages and you know, we used to um, you know, start off with the donkeys and if you can ride a donkey, you can ride more or less anything, really, because they're quite difficult. But um, we had lots of fun, and we had great times in those days, and health and safety and all that sort of stuff wasn't really around. So you could do lots of wild things, really, which we did.
2: So who was the who was the sort of first um, real Irish trainer that you, you rode for?
3: A um, chap called Donald Reid. He... Um, there was an English man that came over to from Mallow, and they were there for about 12 months, and that was my first job with about 12 horses in training. And then they decided to go back to England, mm-hmm. and um, when they went back to England, there was two horses, went up to the corridor to a trainer called McConnelly, and I jumped in the wagon and went with them. And... Okay. Um, so I was there serving my apprenticeship or the rest of my apprenticeship with Mick Honley for four years or five years or something. And um, then I decided to come over to England. I'd ridden the winner on the flat. I'd ridden the winner over holes. Why you
0: know, in England? You
3: no, know, in Ireland before I came. Okay. And won over fences. And uh, there was no real opportunities because it was fairly close shop then, you know all the trainers, good trainers had their retired retained mm. jockeys and they um they weren't getting old enough for me to fit in underneath so <laughs> there was no room so I decided I'd give England a try because there was more racing each day there was three or four meetings a day where yeah, there'd be course. only three or four meetings a day a week in Ireland, you know. So I thought the opportunities were better and I'd have a better chance of getting on. So I came over in 72 to Gordon Richards in Cumbria.
2: Gordon, Gordon W. Richards, to be clear. Yeah, Gordon W. Gordon uh, W. Richards, born in Somerset.
3: That's right, yeah. And never <laughs> lost his accent.
2: <laughs> no, I, I I think it's, it, sorry, just want to butt in there, it's um, one of the things I think is um, very, uh, I don't know what the word is, I'm very fatalistic sort of person. You know, I always think that certain people are meant to meet other people, et cetera. Uh, the Waite family um, has its roots in in Cumbria, so my uh, ancestors all come from from Cumberland. The Waits, uh, and of course, it it, it 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 was struck on me that um, you went to ride for Gordon W Richards, who comes from Somerset, who obviously trained in uh, near Carlisle, uh, and of course, um, and then stayed there, and, I, and he's born in I think he's he's buried in Carlisle now. Um, as you say, um, retained his Somerset. Uh, accent all his life um, so it's quite surreal that you should um, have started off a major career with him I think.
3: Yeah I had five years with him, five great years with him and um, it was a great great ground and Ron Barry was the first jockey then and he was from yep. Limerick
2: yes
0: and,
3: um, probably part of the reason why I'm still here because I didn't <laughs> enjoy England or Cumbria in particular because I couldn't understand anybody. You know, they have their own language in Cumbria. <laughs> so yeah. I found it was very difficult to fit in to start with. So I was there for five or six months and I went home and I wasn't going to come back. And then um, Gordon was over on at the sales and looking at stores around the field as they used to do in those days. And, uh, he called in and decided, you know, he said, well, you should come back. And, uh, so I come back and, um, my first four rides were four winners.
2: That's not bad, so, is it? Uh,
3: well, it was a great start. And, um, <laughs> uh, I had 38 winners that year and was, um, junior champion, conditional, whatever you call it now. Um, so champion apprentice were you or uh, yeah champion conditional yeah yeah, and, a um, yeah. great great question great, um, had a great year I right, had 38 winners and um, then they went down to um, uh, the following season and I was going I think I had about 50 winners or something like that and um, I broke my leg badly so I was out for a long time, really. I was out for, uh, I think it was about eight or ten months, I think. I had very badly broken leg. And then getting back was pretty tricky again then. You know, it was, um, you know, when you're out of the game, you're either fashionable or you're not. And, um you know, it got forgotten about. And then I didn't have any claim either. So times were tough. And then I used to ride the horse when I was claiming for a chap called um, Charlie Hall and Morris Comancio. Yep, and um, yep. he he was a very good horse around Wetherby, a horse called Clear Cut, a great big fine two two mile or really great leper. And mm-hmm. anyway, I got to ride on him the day after Boxing Day at Wetherby, as the regular pilot Brian Fletcher was at Sedgefield.
2: That's Brian Fletcher of of Red Rum and Red Alligator fame. That's, that is. That's
3: right. Yeah. 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 Uh, He was Brian's ride, and Brian was at the other meeting, so I got the call. And um, in those days, people used to be out on the track, you know, and you wouldn't even see the wings because there'd be people all the way back, you know.
2: Mm.
3: And it would be, he was a local hero, really. He was a village horse, you know, and everybody followed him, and they were all there, and he was a long way clear coming down to the last. And they were cheering so much. (laughs) He pricked his ears, never saw the fence Walked straight through it And I was nearly going Out the back door I lost my reins, went over his head And uh, I hooked him back With my stick all into one side Luckily I managed to stay on
0: Oh, And he won
3: And I got all the publicity in the world
2: After (laughs) that the
3: next day So I was back then in action And away we went And you know I forget how many winners I had that season though, but um, ended up having a good season anyway, so it's a funny old game, you're up or you're down
2: There's Sorry, can, I can just, 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 just so bringing bring it back to check, John Joe um, So, of course, Sea Pigeon actually started out with Gordon Richards, so yes. was he was he your ride at Gordon Richards?
3: No, he was Ron Barry's ride really, Ron was oh, okay. Lucky.
2: That's um, ironic, isn't it? Yeah,
3: it was and it was, um it was, when we had him at Gordon's, he, um Mr. Muldoon, the owner, bought him from...
2: General yeah, Aldo, yeah.
3: Yeah, and he um had him at Gordon's, and I think he won his first hole race, if I remember right, in Newcastle. Yeah, I think he
2: did, yeah.
3: And um, he wasn't that impressive, you know, he won, but I didn't think he was that impressive, and mm. we were all a bit disappointed with him, really, but... He was a a weak four-year-old then, you know. And uh, as he got older, he matured. And also, if you went a really fast gallop at Newcastle in the fighting fifth, he didn't quite get home. He could often get beaten there. And even a mile and six at Doncaster, he used to get beat if they went a really fast gallop. But yet he won two. Yeah. Chester Cups two miles two around Chester, <laughs>
2: Well two Chester uh, Cups yeah. and a toe boy, obviously.
3: That's right, yeah. And he hmm. never won the champion hole until He shortened it. He shortened it up. They used to go yeah. up to the stable corner yeah. and, and around. And when they went around in front like they do now, he won the next two. So um he was he was a proper house, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think I think uh, I don't know about you, I think he would have um the, the 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 year you first won, I think you would have won anyway. I think he was, uh, yeah, he was he was so dominant, so dominant over Monksville in 1980 that uh, he would have he would have won anyway. I think you um, should have won the year before. <laughs> well, I, I say it, I, I don't know if you saw because it. I, I was a bit rude. He um. Because, of course, you came second on him and Fran Berry came second on him. And I, I thought the ride that Fran Berry gave him was absolutely awful, to be honest. I was uh, so upset because he, you know, was cantering all over him and he just um, completely made a hash of it, you know.
3: That's he why didn't I, quite you know. get the trip. I, that's what happened with with um, with Fran. But with, with me, the first time I rode him against Mumsfield and he beat us, I hit the front foul too quick, really, in the honour had said, um, you know, don't be leaving till the last minute. You know, yeah, he, yeah. You know, um, so I, I took it up as you turned the corner before you got to the last miles to the really, and he got lonely in front and pulled up. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was a. I had a lot of battles with Mungsfield. He was a great horse, and uh, yes, I I beat him in the in the triumph as well with a horse called Peteroff, which was my first ever winner at Cheltenham.
2: Yeah, and I remember Pete Chester, off very well.
3: Yeah, and um, so I had a, many a tussle with him. He was a great horse and then went on to be a stallion afterwards, which wasn't yeah, as successful as his racing career, but no. it wasn't so bad.
2: Yeah, so, um, yeah, so just, uh, just just finishing off our, our little self-indulgent trip about Sea Pigeon. <laughs> um, as, you, as you say, um, he won two Chester Cups, which was... Uh, Remarkable when you consider that he 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 barely got two miles uh, on 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 as a hurdler, um, but probably and, and arguably his his greatest day in the sun was uh, in the Tow Ebor when uh, he carried ten stone to victory at the odds of eighteen to one with a certain J O'Neill on board, uh, <laughs> and of course you were a very naughty boy uh, as well because you. Had badly injured your foot, I think if that's that's right. You told the course doctor it was your left foot. Uh so he he you got him to look at the wrong foot so you could got passed by the doctor.
3: Too much and information then, there, Paul.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, there we are. So I I know my stuff, you see. And then uh <laughs> and then basically sat on sea pigeon with ten stone, which was a record, I believe, wasn't it?
3: Uh, or think-
2: ten stone, I think.
3: Yeah, I think you might be right there. Yeah, I don't know the facts, but you you'll be right. Yeah. He oh, for your um, point. Yes, yeah, i go good. No, it just was in the summer, in August, and and in yeah. those days there was no summer jumping. So yeah. we had six weeks, two months off in the summer, and of um, course you you know when you're not riding regularly every day, you wouldn't be as fit as you normally would. And yeah, anybody that rides flat and jumping knows. The flat is much quicker and, um, you know, you're, you're pushing much longer. And I was getting a little bit tired, about half of falling out. <laughs> and I, I was in front, or upside in front anyway, and, and I thought I'd beaten the other horse. Uh, then when I came yeah, to the not line. Donny Prince. Gold Prince. Tony gold Prince. Philip Philip
2: Robinson. Yes,
3: I came absolutely (laughs) flying up on the outside, and I'm thinking, oh my God. But I always felt that I had won and nobody had passed me before the winning line. But the frightening bit was when I went back, and um, Monica, the girl that looked after the half of the time, and Graham Lockerbie was the travelling head lad, said, You got beat.
2: Yeah.
3: no, oh, no, no! I did. Bees are definitely one nobody has. Well,
2: Robinson go into the into the winners' enclosure on Donegal Prince as well.
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: And um, uh, anyway, I didn't, never had ridden a York, and Graham said, you know, the angle at York. Well, I'd never ridden a York, so I didn't know there was an angle there. So uh-huh. now I'm I'm worried now, and as I'm walking back into the winning shoulder, I thought my only defence is. I did win, you know, so, and I got off the horse and Mr. Muldoon was white and uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Easterby didn't look very pleased, <laughs> but anyway, it took, it seemed to take ages to get the result to come out, but anyway, when it came out, thank God it was in my favour, so uh, it was a relief, you know, but he was a, he was a magic horse and I'm so privileged to ride him in really good flat races as well as jump racing, you know.
2: Yeah, apparently it was one of the greatest roars, I reckon, that when the result came out, it was one of the biggest roars ever ever heard on a flat course, certainly. More like a Cheltenham roar than a the York flat roar. Yeah,
3: I think that's, it was me, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was, all, it was all the noise you were making in relief. So, really, so that's, uh, as much as it pains me, we'll move on from, from Sea Pigeon. Uh, and, of course, again, a bit, a bit self-indulgent. As you know, I was a, a enormous Michael Dickinson fan, and of course, you've got a very funny story about that that uh, you told me um, when I when I when I I probably met you for the first time properly on your own. And um, probably my second favourite horse of all time uh, um, was Wayward Lad. Uh, he was again a, a magnificent, uh, beautiful black horse. Again, yeah. loved the colours as well. You know, uh, Sea Pigeon had wonderful colours. I always thought tartan, that sort of tartan, Muldoon colours. Uh, Wayward Lad's had really nice colours, fantastic jumper, uh, just a gorgeous horse. And um, you, of course, rode Wayward Lad in the famous 1-2-3-4-5 Dickinson Gold Cup, where Michael Dickinson trained the first five home with Bregorn winning, with Graham Bradley riding. And uh, and you came third on Wayward Lad. Yeah, uh,
3: that was a fantastic training performance, really,
2: wasn't it, when you think back, you know. Uh, the greatest of all time, I would suggest, but, uh, you know. And of course, um, uh, I like to tell the story of. So the next year, it's is, is, uh, is actually. John Joe's very fortunate. If I didn't uh, like him so much, um, uh, he then committed the sacrilege of uh, of riding the, the immortal Dawn Run um, in the Gold Cup of the next year. Uh, and of course, uh, Wayward Lad uh, had Graham Bradley on him uh, at, at that time. And of course, John Joe was on Dawn Run. And. Uh, dawn run what you got up with about 100 yards to go i reckon perhaps even less yeah uh, and and of course um that I, I suspect you probably made the whole of ireland happy that day it was probably um pro- possibly one of the greatest loved um successes of all time because dawn run was such a popular horse and uh, and of course you had a four pound allowance i think or it might have been three three or four pound mare's allowance which, eight pounds
3: i think it was yeah
2: which pains me to this day, because obviously you stopped wayward lad winning and I, I <laughs> temporarily hated you for at least a day. Uh, but tell us what you said to Michael Dickinson when you got back into the winner's enclosure.
3: Well, I, I told Michael here before when I finished third on him that um, he didn't get the trip super hot. He won the King George a couple of times and you know yeah. he, he was a very, very, very good horse. And I was after writing him work a Catholic I think it was about a fortnight before Cheltenham and he had a bit of an injury and Michael didn't think he had him quite fit enough but anyway I thought he ran a cracker and um, and just finished or didn't quite see the trip out up the hill yeah. and um, then the following year when I rode Down Run um, and I saw where, um, Forgive and Forget and Wayward Lad were in front of us um, going to the last and i so thought, forgive him, forget. Won't stay there because wayward lad won't get the trip, won't get up the hill. <laughs> and that's what was in my head, and um, uh, and that's exactly what happened. Really, he didn't get the he didn't get the trip. So I told Michael afterwards. I said, "Hey, yeah, Michael, I told <laughs> you he didn't get the trip last time. <laughs> no way would he have
2: it." <laughs>
3: but anyway,
2: wow. um, I mean, Michael really already, is a genius, yeah. was not he? Yeah, and of course, you know, just um, just uh, trying to get some uh, business into this. Um, Michael Dixon, of course, invented taffeta, uh, yes. a very famous, yes. a very a very famous uh, 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 surface, which is predominantly used in America, I think, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and I think at Newcastle and mm-hmm. Wolverhampton, I think as well. So it's a very good surface, yeah.
2: Yeah and the other thing just for um any of you that are horse racing lovers of course he he also he went on to prove robert sankster uh completely wrong by training tahos to win two breeders cup miles including probably one of the greatest training performances of all time bringing tahos back from a near two year uh layoff uh to win the breeders cup mile which is probably one of the hardest races to win in the world would you agree john john Definitely,
3: yeah, definitely. No, it was a fantastic friend performance. Michael was a genius, really, yes, at, at that job, and uh, he um, he was a very clever man with with ordinary horses as well.
2: Yes. So, how how did you get into horse race training? Was that something you always wanted to do?
3: Yes, it was. Uh, when I was at Gordon's, um, I used to uh, feed in the mornings and um, do the evening feed at nine o'clock, which nobody seems to do anymore, but um, I used to do that as well, and I I enjoyed doing it and checking the horses and seeing they're okay and what have you, and you get to know all their personalities, you know, and they've all got their own little stand in the box and all that sort of stuff, and when I was riding, I bought a little farm, 45 acres, and uh, built a few boxes, and Got a few pointer-pointers in and was training a few pointer-pointers and breaking horses in and that. And I just loved it. And it was just second nature. You can't ride forever. It was something that I was always wanting to do. And um, looking after animals, I kind of knew that from my dad with the greyhounds and what have you. And horses are just basically the same, only bigger and more expensive and (laughs) deeper. Where is that? Yeah, so I just... It was always going to happen and that's what I wanted to do and really enjoy doing it. It's um, totally different to when you're riding. Mm. When you're riding, it's down to to yourself if you make a mistake, you know. But Mm. uh, in training, it's a big team effort, like it's not down to you. It's Mm. just your name is on the head of paper, really, but you have a good team with you. And, um, you know, getting the best out of the team and out of the horses and everything... Gives you a fantastic thrill, but totally different, you know. But uh, yeah, it's nice. I like it. I enjoy it. I love it.
2: So, when did J.P. McManus start backing you?
3: Um, I rode. Um, I, I used to ride a few for him. Um, I rode. Um, Jack of Trumps. Oh first,
2: yes, of course. First yeah. one
3: I remember in yeah. in the, as a five-year-old, I think. In mm-hmm. the, and came um, my name's gone on my head, um, and the King George, and yeah, yeah. He, fin- he finished third, wrong way around for him because he used to hang left. Mm-hmm. And then I rode him in the, I rode him in the, um, in the Gold Cup. Yeah. And I was following, I was absolutely cantering top of the hill, and I was following Philip Blacker on Royal Mail, and he fell at the one on top of the hill, and he fell right in my track and brought us down. <laughs> um, I forget who won that year, but I, I I was confident I was going very well if I would got the trip anyway. You know, but he was only a very young horse, um, yeah. very young horse. But uh, he he was a good horse. That was my my first uh, connection with him, I think. And then um, I used to go and ride a few in Ireland for him. And if he had any runners in, in England, I used to ride them most of them because I was freelance. So. Yeah. And I was able to do whatever, whatever suited, basically. And uh, then when I started training, um, uh, he very kindly bought a very good horse, paid a lot of money for him. He won a bumper at town at Christmas. And um, he, he was, um, he, he just, when he came over, he just didn't seem to be right. And it took a long time to get him right. And being JP, it was good that it was him because you really needed the patience and wait for the whole season. He never ran that year. And we turned him out to grass and brought him in the following season. And I think the following season, um, he won something like the Potence or something at Cheltenham. Yeah, Um, yeah. So but only for JP's patients and, and, and everything. Um, you know, that that set me off on the on the training establishment and getting nicer horses, you know. So um that's that's my first recollection of, of it all. Yeah.
2: So of course, um both of your two greatest successes as trainers, as trainer, uh, don't push it in two thousand and ten Grand National and synchronized 2012 Gold Cup were both McManus horses, weren't
3: they? Yes, they were, yeah. Um, don't Push It was bought by Frank Berry out of the field uh, as a three-year-old and um, and um, Synchronise was bred by JP's wife, Noreen. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about buying good horses and finding good horses it's just, they, they arrive, don't they, you know?
2: Yeah, that's, and obviously written by uh, the, I don't know what to call it really, the, uh, the unique Tony McCoy. Um, probably, <laughs> you'd know better than I, but uh, arguably probably one of the most uh, obsessively brilliant and driven people of all time, regardless of what, what sport or discipline they'd be in. Would you, would you agree with that?
3: Oh, 100%, yeah. Great, great fella. We were lucky enough that JP retained him and we got a few horses for JP. And he he'd be always in and out and working, you know, with, with us. And he was a great guy to work with and um, great judge and great, great feedback. Um, it was a pleasure to work with him. And he's, um, he's still and he's still in still involved, um, but he it's very hard to find words to describe baby he's um he's just so delicate really and so I used to I, I used to always say i get I got the best out of him on schooling
0: morning
3: <laughs> because um he would be schooling we'd say we'd be schooling forty fifty houses in the morning and one would be maybe running around a little bit or something with one of the lads and he'd say leave that there and I'll school it later. And he would get hold of it and he has a he would like have a vice grip hold of this half. And this house will go up as straight as a dime. and you're thinking, I can't be the same half. You know. But he, he was just brilliant. He was just a, a genius, really. And um, we were very lucky to have him.
2: Yeah, and of course I think um, I was thinking about this a lot actually, without being um uh, unduly schmaltzy or something. Um I think if I was writing your biography, which of course you you should let me do one day, uh, <laughs> uh, I personally think your greatest achievement is um, is is your legacy and the team you have and your family. Actually, uh, I said to um, I said to your good lady and, and and Joe, who I've got to know very well, that um, I, I always feel a bit like um, when I come to see when I come to Jackdaws, I feel like someone's given me a bowl of ready brek. <laughs> uh, without without actually having to eat anything which um and i you know i'm a great believer in um you no know, that comes from the top down uh and of course um in terms of pride you now have uh, your son uh john joe jr who uh i think i think the thing that really impresses me uh and i i, I don't know him very well but i i have i have met him uh he, he he's now uh sort of the go-to jockey for colin tizard uh, and of course, uh, John Joe jr's had a real breakthrough last year when he got to ride great native river. Uh, and I, and I, I watched the, the interview before the race and, and afterwards with, with great interest, uh, almost I'd say like an uncle sort of interest because, uh, you know, interest to see how the young man would conduct himself. And I, I was sort of very struck on, um, a lovely blend of humility, but confidence Obviously, he's your boy, so is that what you know? Is that how you see him?
3: Um, yeah, he's he's the good lad, he's doing he's having a good run. And Colin and Joe, they, and the owners, have been very good to him. Um, and when you get chances like that, as you know, Paul, you got to take them, and they yeah. can easily go wrong and very easily go wrong, and you slip down the ladder very quickly. Um, when they go right, um. They're supposed to go right, so that's what you're supposed to do, really. But uh, he doesn't do too many things wrong, and uh, he's very keen, and he's got a good racing brain, and he's got a good mind on him. So hopefully it'll continue and keep free from injury, and hopefully he'll have a great successful career and enjoy it. The main thing is to enjoy these things because by the time you – Understand to enjoy it is nearly too late <laughs> and oh, that's um, very true. every day you ride a good horse you must get the kick out of it and, and really enjoy it you know and that's what i keep telling him anyway so um i hope he enjoys it as much as i enjoy mine you now
2: no, i think i think your boy is a is a as a shoe in as champion jockey one day so i look forward i look forward very much for that happening um <laughs> given given that obviously neither of us uh, neither you or i are, are in our uh, are, are in our infancy anymore for instance um do you see do you see do yourself do you see yourself ever retiring or and and, and do you still have great ambition or or what you know how would you how would you put that you know what is, what is oh, what's, what's life look like
3: full of ambition really yeah um, it, we've had a couple of quite a years. we we had some very good houses and When they disappear, um, they take, they're a big hole to fill, really, you know. And we have last year, we think we, like every trainer thinks the same, we think we've got a few nice young horses coming along. And you never know when one arrives. And sometimes you'd be looking at these horses, like Synchronise is a good example. He's just an ordinary horse, he won his first race, whole race at Toaster and we didn't think much of him, and he developed into a Gold Cup horse, you know. Mm. Um, so, you, you live on the dream with training horses, really, and you're just hoping that one of them will pop up, and we think we have a few nice horses to, to come to, to come and take part in nice races again now, hopefully next season when we are, hopefully, please God, get back going, and um, it's all to look forward to, and, you know, there's, then the following season you're buying some more horses and you know you you, you know and as you say John is there he's young and he's coming along so um, like I've no intention of retiring I'd love to win the champion hole haven't yeah. won a champion hole love to have a real good two miler and um, and hadn't had one of them for a long time into Sky Vulcan I think was the last decent one and he didn't quite get the trip there but he won two um, uh, Christmas yeah. huddles, and. He won a few good, grade ones in Tipperary, and uh, he was a great horse, but um, it's a long time since we've seen them, you know, so, yeah, listen, full of ambition, full of enthusiasm, and um, just waiting for the good horses to come along, that really gives you the buzz, you know, and uh, every morning you see one working well or whatever, and you think, ah, oh, this could be him, you know, let's hope we've got him one, you know, and uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it?
2: No, I think that's marvelous, um, so I suppose the last thing i 'd like to talk to you about before i let I let you go to your your busy schedule is um so what what is what is it like training in the coronavirus world um obviously some of the horses have gone home what what is is, is it a real challenge you know how is how is the community dealing with it
3: yeah because, well so far not too bad, but you know it is the bread and butter and um you know the bread and butter gets less and less as long as this goes on. So uh, hopefully we can. You know it's impossible to say when for the government to, to say when when you can start, when you can't start, and whatever. And but they do seem to have the finger on the pulse. And um, hopefully it's it's a real, really. mean we would have uh, we wouldn't probably have a full yard in anyway at this time of the year. But you'd be having thirty, forty summer horses probably. Um, So in one sense for us jumping lads is probably not the worst time, you know, but the flashlights will be much more frustrating because you've got all your two-year-olds and group races and trial races and everything for all the big meetings later on. And that's going to be pretty difficult really. So it is difficult for everybody. It's not easy for anybody, but, um, if there happened to be an okay time for it to happen, it's probably okay for the jumping land. But um none of us want to see something like this and you know, so many people um disappearing. It's just it's a weird kind of a scene, isn't it, really, you know? So let's hope we stay healthy and safe and get out of this and get back to get back to work.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I, I feel quite strongly about uh, horse racing in, insofar as um uh, so if you look at what's going on in Australia, Hong Kong and America, for instance, uh, all, all of the racing has been continued, albeit um, with no with no public attendance. And I think, you know, if you take my 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 father, who I'm very pleased to say is still alive at the age of 86, defying all all odds to do so. <laughs> um, if I go around to see my dad, which I do every Sunday, um, he you know, he, he will usually have his uh, daily express out. Uh, on the racing page with his his little pen against all the horses that are going to win that day, you know. Um, and I, I was—I think I'll say this: yeah, fortunate enough to work in William Hill in uh, one of my summer holidays when I was at university, and I was a, a relief manager. So I'll tell you that story another day when I when I have five minutes with you. Uh, and uh, and so I I I had a lot of time to observe the the behavioral patterns of 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 certainly pensioners particularly old ladies you know whose days would revolve around bingo followed by three hours in the bookies you know and i just think that one, perhaps one of the things the government has got wrong is, is is two probably things i would focus on one would be garden centers uh so i think that you know people love their gardening and i think um you know, uh, they should have allowed uh, people to go and buy their plants and flowers, etc., etc. And the other thing is is sports. And I think um, I, for instance, you know, I don't mind admitting this, probably every single day of my life, I will go on the racing post uh, and I will look at what's running tomorrow. Uh, particularly, you know, I follow certain jockeys, trainers, uh, horses. You know, I have a look. And, and of course, you know, I'm in lockdown and I've got none of that to do. So I think, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, I think getting horse racing back uh, really is in the public interest. I, I feel that strongly about oh, it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. It, it is. But it's, um, you know, it's, uh, the sooner they can get it done, the better, really. But it is difficult. But um, let's hope we can get back in the, let's hope we can get back in the van, as it might say.
2: Well, Mr. Mr. John-Joe, I have to say, um, I feel a little bit like, I, I feel, I don't know if you know, I've, I've written uh, two books, and I'm on my third one, and I and I definitely think that uh, my experience with you is worthy of a chapter on its own. And, um, uh, and, and in many ways, um, you know, in, in, in no small way, uh, just this whole session with you today is a bit of a career highlight for me. Uh, <laughs> so I just, no, seriously, I'd just like to thank you um, uh for for um putting up with this interview today when you've got so many other things to do and and being so uh chatty and open about your career which i think is a great a great one and i i you know and I, I know that you you know you're a humble guy and all that but um you know you are no ordinary jockey you know it was anyway i was i was sat down last night and i thought well really the only person you could really compare compare you with in my opinion was fred winter and that's uh that's some accolade, I think. You know, Josh Gifford. <laughs> big <maybe>. compliment. <laughs> well, it's big compliment to you, yeah. <laughs> but but well deserved, you know, because Fred Winter was, uh, I would say, arguably the greatest national hunt trainer of all time. Maybe you know, uh, you know, d- debate and discuss. But um, you know, I think, um, I think, I say, I, you know, I think your greatest legacy is is Jack Dawes itself. It's a it's a wonderful complex. Uh, I think your family are. Um, People to be really proud of. Uh, you've got a great bunch of horses, and uh, and I and I certainly wish you all the success in the future, uh, and and look forward to playing some small part in that. So thank you ever so much, John Joe.
3: Pleasure, Paul. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, Paul. Uh, well, I think I was absolutely uh, fascinated listening to uh, to that. Um, you know, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, John Joe, to to answer Problem, uh, Paul's questions. It was really entertaining. We had loads of people. Um, watching and commenting and, and i know enjoying it as as well um Good. we're privileged to have you on uh, before you go we, we've one more thing that we do on the show and that's um uh, paul chooses a, a song but before i i pass back to paul i just wanted to ask you i always like to ask guests uh, about music um is there is there anything in particular that um that, that is is you is your kind of thing maybe for a quiet time or something that you you, you like to listen to in the past
3: um, I'm I'm not brilliant. Uh, Irish music, obviously. I enjoy Adele. I enjoy like you know anything really. I'm I'm pretty open to anything.
2: Yeah, I think me too. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I I should have played the Waterboys or the Levellers or something, and then uh, <laughs> some, I I actually thought you were going to ask John Joe to sing. I, I I I would have been priceless to see the look on his face. <laughs> yeah, I should have done. Yeah, I should have done. <laughs> hey, Come on George, sing us a song There's awesome, <laughs> uh, uh,
3: something you wouldn't want to hear about. i am going
2: to show uh, you. No, uh, we'll, well, we'll take a pass on that. So <laughs> Okay, lads.
1: So uh, Paul, what was okay. uh, what was your song to play out with today?
2: So uh, uh we're actually up to uh, on, on our A to Z. We're actually up to L today. So um I decided to be quite self-indulgent. Um I actually got into John Lennon uh, a lot more after he was dead than when he was alive actually. Um, and, um, really, really like, uh, quite a lot of his songs. And my favorite John Lennon song is a song called number nine dream. Uh, so, um, as John Joe still living the dream, we're gonna, we're gonna play John Lennon singing number nine dream today. And that's, uh, that's our record for today. Yeah. Brilliant. So if you're listening uh, on the podcast, you're going to get that now. If you're, if you're
1: watching on the live stream, uh, at lunchtime, then go away and listen to that song at some point this afternoon or whatever, uh, streaming uh, device, uh, that you have. Um, we we love doing these uh, on a Friday. Uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. Once again, John, Joe, thank you so much uh, for coming on today, uh, um, and a big thank you to uh, Paul uh, as always. Right, that's it from from us this lunchtime and for this week. Plenty for you to catch up on. Don't forget uh, if you haven't already, then subscribe to our podcast and of course subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell and get notified uh, whenever uh, we go live. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Whatever. Uh, you're going to be up to in these uh, very strange times. And we'll see you back here on Monday at 12.30. Take care.